Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The history of the Mendocino Environmental Center, as told by its co-founder, Betty Ball, is the topic of this edition of Radio Curious. Betty and her late husband, Gary Ball, founded the Mendocino Environmental Center, based in Ukiah, California, in early 1987, which soon became a central organizing hub for several environmental movements in Northern California. The issues in those years included protection of the Northern California coast from offshore oil drilling, an effort which has remained successful. The Forest Forever initiative campaign on behalf of the Heritage Tree Preservation Act, which narrowly lost the statewide California ballot initiative in 2002. And Redwood Summer, a nonviolent civil disobedience effort to protect old growth redwood trees in Northern California from being logged, which was modeled after the Mississippi Summer Civil Rights Projects in 1964. Shortly before the planned beginning of Redwood Summer in June 2000, Judy Berry, a Redwood Summer organizer, was severely injured in a car bomb explosion in Oakland, California. In a subsequent civil jury trial, the FBI and the Oakland Police Department were found liable for certain matters related to the bombing in order to pay over $4 million as compensation. The bombers still remain at large. These and other issues are discussed in this interview with Betty Ball, which was recorded for video and audio broadcast on November 7, 2011, at the studios of Mendocino Access Television in Ukiah, California. We began when I asked Betty Ball what drew her and her late husband, Gary, into the environmental movement. visiting friends in California and spent time at USAL um, on the coast and loved it and began contemplating possibly moving here because we fell in love with USAL and Mendocino County just driving through and spending time. We went home and both of us independently started having fantasies of having an environmental center in Northern California where people could work together, come together, share resources, and work together on issues having to do with the environment and social justice. Because we understood that you can't separate the two. It's all connected. Can you tell us about the connection, how you see the connection of environmental issues and social justice? Well, quite obviously, none of us can live without the earth and the air and the water and all the many beings that exist together on the earth. And we saw that the same forces that were causing the destruction of our earth home and depleting the resources were the forces that were behind segregation and racism and making sure there was an underclass of people so that more money could 
uh, filtered to the top for those that wanted to be in power and in control. It all emanated from a lust for greed and um, power. And we understood that, and so we knew that to work on environmental issues would also entail working on social justice issues. Bringing that up to 2011, perhaps you might be characterized as uh, one of the early members of the 99% of the <laughs> occupiers of I believe of so, yes. And those with whom we worked in Mendocino County as well, yes. So tell us what you did at the Mendocino Environmental Center and its base here in Ukiah. We did so much. We were involved with so many environmental and social justice issues. We worked to stop the oil drilling on the coast, and we networked with the many ocean sanctuary groups over there. Let's uh, stay there for a moment if we can. Sure. And this brings us to 1989 when the Minerals Management Commission yes. uh, from uh, the Department of the Interior was holding hearings in Fort Bragg yes. about offshore oil drilling. What was the role of the Mendocino Environmental Center? To do outreach and networking and to make it possible for as many inland people as possible to get to Fort Bragg to participate in those hearings. So we organized transportation, carpools, made sure that people in Ukiah and the valley, inland valleys were very aware of it and aware of the schedule for the hearings and just making it possible to get large numbers of people over to the coast. What I remember is remarkable about those hearings. I felt I needed to ask about the members of uh, the commission. How many of them had participated in hearings like this before and uh, did they vote against any of the proposed activities? They had all participated except for one in prior hearings and they all supported the proposed idea, uh, which uh, seemed somewhat tilted. Well, it, it, totally. And I think you'll find that common theme throughout every environmental issue that you care to work on that involves boards and commissions and um, regulatory agencies and politicians, I think you'll find the same theme running through every issue. We found it true also in Boulder, Colorado with Rocky Flats and the ongoing work to keep it closed. So it's part of, of corporate domination and the revolving door of people in the corporate world into the government and back again. Not too long after the 1989 offshore oil hearings that were held in Fort Bragg became Redwood Summer, in Correct. which the Envi Mendocino Environmental Center was somewhat involved. Can you share with us your experience? We were actively engaged in the deforestation happening in Mendocino County um, at the hands basically of Georgia Pacific and Louisiana Pacific. And just to the north of us, of course, was Charles Hurwitz's um, buyout of Pacific um, lumber company and the whole headwaters forest issue that emerged from that upon the discovery by Greg King of the amazing old growth groves that were still there and of course Charles Hurwitz's need to increase and escalate the rate of cut in order to pay off the junk bonds that he had used, the leverage buyout that he had used to acquire that land. 
So we recognized that we needed to do something very dramatic to slow down the cut. We had already formed a large coalition of organizations from LA up to the California-Oregon border to work on creating an initiative, Prop 130, Forest Forever, which we managed to get on the ballot in 1990 that would be incredibly strict regulation of timberlands, corporate timberlands in California. It would stop clear cutting, it would stop the cutting of old growth forests, it would protect the watersheds, it would protect the streams, it would ensure there always be a canopy to protect the growing conditions for the forest. We realized that the timber companies were going to increase the rate of cut to get as much on the ground cut as possible before such an initiative could pass because they became aware that there was a strong likelihood that Forest Forever was going to pass. So we organized with Earth First and Sierra Club and the many, many watershed groups, Save the Redwoods League to some extent, the Wilderness Society to some extent, um, on maintaining the momentum behind this initiative. Earth First took the lead in recruiting people to come to Northern California to do protests in the woods and blockades and many, many direct action activities to keep as many trees as possible standing, to slow down the cut so that we could work on getting this initiative passed while there was still a viable, sustainable forest. Before we move on, I want to stay with uh, your phrase of what we did to organize. And this is kind of a question to a practical sense of how does an environmental center, the one that you worked on here in Ukiah and the one that I understand you're, where you're working now in Boulder, what does an environmental center do to organize and raise this within the community consciousness? We use a variety of strategies and tactics. Education, first we have to educate ourselves as much as possible on the issue. Then we have to use our knowledge to inform the public about the issue and why we feel it is so important to protect the forests and the watersheds and the water quality and the habitat for all the animals. So we do a lot of educating of the people and outreach and communication, going to, and then attending public hearings, testifying at public hearings to the regulatory agencies. Um, we use direct action as a technique for buying time and we use litigation a great deal to also buy time to keep the forest standing. We go to court and we found it that we just had to monitor timber harvest plans on the private lands and Invariably, there were, they were problematic. Invariably, they were breaking laws or proposing cuts that would um, break laws. So we filed a lot of lawsuits with the help of some great environmental attorneys from the Bay Area all the way up through Humboldt County and spent a lot of time in court um, keeping the forest standing. And sometimes we did direct action for the explicit purpose 
uh, buying time to, to get an injunction um, to, to stop the cut. So we would do a blockade that would prevent the loggers from going to work for X number of hours while, um, while we got the papers filed and waited for a judge to sign a preliminary injunction, for instance. When you say we, how were you able to bring in people to the project? Obviously, this could not have been done by you and Gary. A lot of people got involved because they shared the vision of keeping these beautiful, incredible, and life-supporting forests standing on a sustainable basis. It wasn't very difficult to get a lot of people involved in that. And once we got the word out, through the whole state of California and even other states, especially among young people, it w really was not very difficult to get a lot of people excited about being involved. And that then became perhaps the genesis for what was called Redwood Summer, modeled somewhat after Mississippi Summer in 1964 in the Civil Rights Movement. Exactly. What became of that? What became of Redwood Summer? Yes. We were on a very intensive organizing campaign to do outreach on college campuses and in communities throughout California. We recognized growing heated debates and controversy in our communities, in Northern California especially. The timber companies, of course, hated what we were up to and they were working to turn the loggers and, and mill workers against us. It was getting pretty scary in a lot of ways on a social level, and there was growing animosity. Um, and we worked with Art Harwood, actually, who was a local landowner and mill owner, to set up meetings to try to diminish the growing animosity and to make it a safer community for everybody. And we had many, many meetings in Willits, basically, of loggers, mill workers, um, earthbursters, and some regulatory people as well to talk about the issue and to try to de-escalate the tensions. We were in the midst of doing that when Judy Berry and Daryl Cherney were on an organizing tour down to the Bay Area and then on to Santa Cruz to recruit more people to get involved in Redwood Summer. On May 23rd, we were in Ukiah and Judy and Darrell were about to embark on this organizing tour. And we were holding a press conference that day, in fact, in your office, Barry, <laughs> in your law office. Rod Jones had filed a lawsuit on behalf of Mem Hill, who had um, been assaulted by a logger up in Northern California. And um, we had just won um, that lawsuit for Mem. And we were doing a press conference in your office before Judy and Daryl took off to go down to the Bay Area. We were over there in your office. Utah Phillips was here. He was going to go down to the Bay Area with Judy and Daryl. He had, in fact, attended the meeting, loggers meeting in Willits the night before. Utah came back and was hanging out at the Mendocino Environmental Center, sitting out front with his chair leaned against the wall of the building, playing his guitar, watching traffic and people go by while we waited for Judy to get back over to the Mech 
from your office so that they could continue on their way down to the Bay Area. They went on down to the Bay Area. They had a meeting with Seeds of Peace, an organization that was going to help with provide base camps and feed the activists who were coming from all over the state for Redwood Summer. They'd had a strategy meeting at Seeds of Peace that night on May 23rd. They went over to a house in um, Berkeley to spend the night. Um, Judy got in her car, loaded up her car with Daryl and her fiddle and Daryl's guitar and they're organizing materials and were following someone through the streets of Oakland as they were being showed how to get on the highway to go down to Santa Cruz. At an intersection in Oakland, Judy had to put on her brakes pretty hurriedly because um, Shannon was making a sudden turn in front of her and Judy needed to keep up with her. As Judy applied the brakes, a horrendous bomb exploded under her car seat. The bomb had both a motion detector and a timer, so it would be necessary for her to actually be in the car when the bomb went off. It did go off and impaled her on the springs of the car seat. She was incredibly seriously injured, had to be pried with the jaws of life off of the springs of the car seat. Darrell was injured also. His eye and hearing were injured. He was less injured than Judy, but he also was injured with glass in his eye and problem with his, his hearing. And Judy had to be rushed to emergency surgery. While she was in emergency surgery, the FBI and the Oakland police arrested Darrell and Judy for knowingly carrying a bomb that they had intended to use somewhere else and that the bomb had accidentally exploded under Judy's seat, but that they were knowingly carrying this bomb um, down to do something somewhere and told such transparent lies as that this, the bomb was in the back seat under the guitar and fiddle and that they knew the bomb was there because they had put the instruments on top of the bomb. Well pictures taken at the scene clearly showed where that bomb was and it was not in the back seat. So if we could jump forward to the result of the lawsuit that Judy Berry and Daryl Cherney brought against the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And the Oakland Police. And what was the result? It was a tremendous victory. It was the biggest victory against the FBI monetarily ever. And the Oakland police and the FBI had to cough up $4.2 million in awards to Judy and Darrell for violation of their civil and constitutional rights. This was not a criminal suit. This was not a criminal case. It was a civil case. The, the criminal charges filed against them were dropped. So Well, no, they were never dropped. The prosecutor decided not to prosecute. They decided not to pursue the charges. The charges were never dropped. And probably to this day, if you ask either the Oakland police or the FBI, they would say that Judy and Darrell are still the only suspects. In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Betty Ball, a co-founder of the Mendocino Environmental Center, in a video edition of Radio Curious that's being recorded at the Mendocino Access Television 
studios in Ukiah, California. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel, and like I say, our guest is Betty Ball. Betty, let's move into the present time, and I'd like you to share your thoughts about the pending work in the areas of environmental issues and social justice issues that you feel needs to be done here in Mendocino County and in your community of Boulder, Colorado, if they're different, and in a greater perspective throughout the United States and, and our and world. And the entire world. And our world. Yes. In 1989-1990, we all recognized what the problem was. And we recognized that we had a lot more in common with the loggers and mill workers than we did with the, the corporations and the timber bosses and um, Harry Merlot from LP and Charles Hurwitz from Maxam. We recognized that the corporations were systematically dismantling our communities and the ability of our communities to remain viable. And in fact, after Redwood Summer, we had corporate fall the following year, and that's what we called it, corporate fall, because we envisioned a time when we would be out from under corporate control and the control of the corporations on every level of our lives. So I am absolutely thrilled, as are so many of us who worked through that period in the 90s, to have this Occupy movement happening directed at De dismantling corporate control and getting us out from under corporate power because until that happens we are not going to have a viable earth we are not going to have viable communities we are not going to have an economy that sustains the people what specific steps would you encourage be done uh, to achieve that goal they're off to a really good start in their organizing and maintaining nonviolence and using a consensus process for organizing. Those are essential. And in every community, I think we can have simultaneous actions directed at what the current problems are there. For instance, continuing occupations of the forest and the forest lands here. We've still got the threat of offshore oil happening under, unfortunately. In Colorado, we've got the desire of the corporados and the Department of Interior to open Rocky Flats for public recreation, even though it is totally contaminated with plutonium and can never be cleaned up. They want people to forget that. So there are specific places to occupy throughout the United States and the world that will bring the point home to the local communities and they share a common factor of being dominated by corporations who are dominating our government. And as you know, when the corporations and our government are conjoined, it's called fascism. So I, we are dealing with fascism and we need to undo that so that it's once again the people who are in control of democracy. On a material plane, the points to occupy in your vision would be? Handy Woods comes to mind right now in Mendocino County. Richardson Grove, right up over the border in Humboldt County. And those are both state parks that have uh, old growth redwood and uh, on the list to be closed 
by the state of California. Right, and a place where I think we all have incredible power throughout the United States is to withdraw our money from the banks that are too big to fail, making them small enough to fail quickly, and to instead invest our money in credit unions or local community banks. And that movement is really moving forward with great rapidity, and I'm very, very excited about these moves to get the money out of Chase and Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Well, Betty Ball, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious on our occasional video edition. And I'd like to ask you a couple of questions I, I ask all of my guests. Okay. And, and one is, if you could briefly tell us about a eureka or aha moment in your life that has shaped your life. Well, I can think of two right offhand. The first one, my father was sent to Lubbock, Texas to start a YMCA when I was 10 years old. I was thrown into blatant segregation. My grandfather knew I was not going to be like it there for many reasons. And so in his wisdom, he asked me to write him a letter every week in which I told him 10 things that I was liking about Lubbock, Texas. That was an, you know, a real epiphany for me in understanding that we can actually create our own attitudes about things and we can choose what we want to see. We can choose to make ourselves miserable by concentrating on what we don't like or we can choose to be happy by concentrating on the things that we do like um, and finding balance therein. And what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? I would very much like to work with the Arapaho and Ute tribes in Colorado and um, Utah and um, Wyoming to change the name of a mountain named Meeker after um, an Indian killer. Mr. Meeker was um, part of the Bureau of in the early predecessor to Bureau of Indian Affairs. He did the Ute massacre. He drove the Utes out of Colorado, and now there's a mountain named for him, um, a mountain that I bonded with when I was quite young, and I would like to work with the tribes there to change the name of that mountain. I would also like to work with the Occupy movement and share my skills and organizing abilities to help ensure the success of that movement. And finally, is there a book that you could recommend to our listeners and viewers? Any book by Aaron Dottie Roy, Chris Hedges, or Derek Jensen. Well, Betty Ball, it's a pleasure to have you with us on Radio Curious on our special video edition. Thank you. And, it's great. Betty Ball is the co-founder, along with her late husband, Gary Ball, of the Mendocino Environmental Center based in Ukiah, California. She now makes her home in Boulder, Colorado. The books that Betty Ball recommends are any of those written by Arundhati Roy, Derek Jensen, or Chris Hedges. This interview with Betty Ball was recorded for radio and television broadcast with the generous cooperation of Mendocino Access Television in Ukiah, California, and the engineering assistance of Micah Mate.
All editions of Radio Curious are free for anyone, anywhere, to listen, download, and enjoy. There are about 400 archive editions on our website, www.radiocurious.org. You may subscribe to our podcast at our website. Our email is curious at radiocurious.org. Snail mail is Post Office Box 7, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. And the phone is 707-462-6541. You've been listening to Radio Curious. Christina Anastat is the associate producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.